you can't go into, you know, to an interview and say, here, I drew some pictures to show you what I can do for your company. But nevertheless, it's creativity and it's showing me as a teacher that they get it. That's AC, teacher, dad, and musical influence to the stars. AC phoned it in to share his scholastic grade sarcasm, classroom techniques, and what it's like to look through his eye for design. I'm Amber, and here's Angelica with our weekly chat. Hi, AC. Hello, Angelica. Thanks for joining us on Chatty Crafties, a show where I celebrate my creative friends to get inspired by everyday art. Um, we my know pleasure. Each other- oh, Sorry good. for cutting you off. That's okay. Oh. You know what the most important thing about comedy is? What? Timing. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's a, it's a Michael Scott joke. And you're supposed to like <laughs> try to talk and then I talk over you, but didn't. <laughs> so, anywho. I ruined it. We know each other through my husband, Matt. Um, y'all went to high school together, right? Since ninth grade? Yep. And then uh, you and I met when I went to meet his friends and family back in 2001. So, first of all, what are you into creatively? Um, I mean, like I said, when y'all first asked me to do this, I'm not, I can't sit here and say that I'm the quilting type or I do a lot of scrapbooking or anything like that, but I do look at creativity as a way to express yourself. And I f- think that people are more creative than they think. Um, uh, like for example, you remind me of things that I've done that I forgot that I even did. And yeah. so, um, just as far as creativity goes, I mean, just different ways to look at concepts, um, you know, different ways to, and as a teacher, I'm constantly trying to think of ways that are going to engage a student that are going to keep them engaged both visually and, um, lecture wise and moving around and doing things. Um, so just, I just want people to be creative period. I don't really care. I'm not biased towards any given media. Yeah. Um, I prefer, you know, I really love architecture. Um, you know, interior design, exterior design, you know, things you guys are into too. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, I guess as well, I guess you could take, you know, my love for, um, aquariums. Oh um, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Aquariums and bonsai, um, you know, as living nature and art. And obviously it takes way more, you know, constant, takes way more constant, um, you know, maintenance, but it's still, it's still art. It's living art, you know? So yeah, that's the kind of, I mean, I guess that's kind of stuff. I like stuff that's going to last for a long time and be there for generations, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so starting off talking about you being a high school teacher, uh, what age are we talking about? Well, unfortunately, Angelica, I'm a junior high teacher because we have seventh, eighth and ninth grade on one campus. So (laughs) technically I am a junior high teacher, but I do consider myself a high school teacher. I teach ninth grade world geography. Mm -hmm. Um, and it lends itself very well to creativity because, um, it's been called the mother of all sciences because it is so interdisciplinary and it is an umbrella that encompasses so many sciences, um, geology, uh, oceanography, biology, economics, 
you know, sociology, psychology, uh, cartography, you could go on and on as far as all the things that is under the umbrella and many of them lend themselves to creativity, you know, so that it allows me to let the kids be creative, especially those kids that are creative and that's how they learn. So, yeah, definitely. Um, and you sent some pictures of your students art, um, that, do you have them draw during the class period or is it their Um, homework? Well, the, most of it is during the period. Like if you see the project stuff, that stuff's all during class. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're working on projects. I do. And this is another thing of mine is I do way more like project based learning and project based assessment rather than just having them sit down and take a multiple choice test. Yeah. Because a lot of kids think that that I do that because, you know, I don't, I'm, they immediately think that you're not a good test taker or something like that. In in reality, I was a phenomenal test taker. Oh, yeah. And, and that was the point. That was wise because I could sit there and do nothing mm-hmm. and, I, and I could ace the test. And then I knew that there was kids around me who worked their butt off, you know, constantly doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And they would go to take a test and just completely vomit and do poorly mm-hmm. or in some cases do worse than me on their overall grade. And so I know that that doesn't mean anything. Assessments don't. Yeah. An overall multiple choice test doesn't tell you anything about a child's ability to comprehend or retain information. So I love yeah. the, needless to say, I love the star system. It's the, the test they have to take to move on to different grades in oh, Texas. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm being sarcastic. I don't like it at all. <laughs> yeah. So, Cause so you're teaching a lot to of the, the test. Yeah. But some kids are better at just showing me in a drawing what they know about it. And yeah, I had a couple of classes in high school that really stood out to me. One of them was science fiction slash um, term paper. So we had to write a 20 page term paper by the end of the semester. But we also read science fiction books every week and then had a project on the science fiction book and just kind mm-hmm. of in the off time, we would <laughs> write a paper and it yeah. just made so much sense to me to do these two really different parts of our brain exercising those different parts of our brain and it made it really fun like the the paper was kind of like okay fine we're doing that but my first my first three years as a teacher I worked at on the south side of Fort Worth which I'm sure a lot of people don't know what that means but it's a very economically deprived area and um, I taught English and I you know I did many of the same things and I just drew them over to geography um but, you know, we would read a book and then they would, you know, they would use their creativity in some sort of project to show, you know, the plot line and the rising action and the, you know, climax and all those things. So you're talking about kids in the South Side who either they don't speak English because it's their second language. They're just they're not very good at it because they're learning it. Or you're talking about children who, you know, don't really speak English as far as academic English, scholastic English. Because because they've been taught how to speak in a different way. And it's nerdy to speak in the correct, proper way. So it's very hard for them to put things down in in terms of verbally, like what we would accept, you know, as scholastic English. So being creative, they were able to show me much more that they got the point of the story and things like that. So, yeah. Do you do art with the kids as well? Do you draw like when you're kind of talking about it? I'm not a very good drawer. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not a strong swimmer. Um, <laughs> what I do actually, and I mean, I know a lot of people wouldn't see it as such, but I do a lot of PowerPoints. I do a PowerPoint every day, but I do a lot of visuals for them um, to get their mind going and to get in the right, you know, the right place creatively. And pretty much all of my vocab, for example, PowerPoints that I spend, you know, really I've spent years on them. I just keep working on them. You know, you know, um, they use them throughout the district. Uh, our Your curi- PowerPoints? Yeah, our curriculum person asks me every year if she can use them and put them in there. And, and I'm like, sure, that's, cool. that's fine. Um, I mean, you know, it's just, it, it's validation really more anything else that that works, you know? Yeah. And so. No, you're some, putting the work in yourself. And there, and there's some people who won't, who don't like lending their stuff, you know, cause they do all the work and they don't want, but I mean, ultimately, you know, we're trying to, to get these kids understanding in a, in a, Really in something in a xenophobic world, you know, that we're trying to teach them how, you know, other cultures are not boogeymen. They're not something to be fearful about, you know. Yep. And so <clears throat> the more they know about it, the less they're concerned about it and the, the less that they get weirded out by it. Because, I mean, you know, these are kids and yeah, they don't they don't you know, they're told not to like something. They don't just grow up not liking another person. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they're, they taught it or they have a lack of education that teaches them to fear people that are different than them. So anyway, like I said, I, I rather, you know, I rather be able to help everybody with that and help out the most I can with that. So I can see how world geography would be the perfect platform to talk about how other cultures are something that we should learn about instead of be afraid of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean... Something that we're constantly, I mean, the, a lot of these kids don't really have an opinion either way because they don't even know these things are there. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, if they, for example, if they talk about Islam, you know, they don't really know anything about it. They know that it's foreign. Some, you know, we have some children who wear the hijab and they, you know, and the thing is, like, as a child, as a student, they're the exact same. As the other kids, they're all awkward 14, 15-year-olds, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think the fact that the kids do go to school with kids like that helps them be exposed to it. But as far as the specifics of what they believe, they have no understanding whatsoever. And so that's something that we're able to explain. And really, <clears throat> you know, I have a quote in my room, and it was made famous by, I think, a Nike commercial, actually, um, was that we're more alike than we're unalike. Um, we have more in common than we don't have in common, Maya Angelou said. Mm-hmm, this, despite mm-hmm. our differences, we have we're much more alike than different, and that's what I try to that's what I try to hit on is how although we have these diff, tiny differences, you know we're much more um, we're much more alike than different. So yeah, definitely, and, that's and beautiful. I, and, I, and I think they try to get that. I think eventually that they you know see that more and more. And they start to see the differences, the slight differences, actually as beneficial, you know, as something that it makes, you know, it's the spice of life and it makes it interesting. Because obviously, if we were all the same, that'd be completely boring. Mm-hmm. So, Definitely. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's the truth. 
No, it really is. When you and Amy moved in together, I Mm. got to see your affinity for interior design. Um, Mm. You basically started from scratch, except for a few modern pieces that were in your bedroom from home. Mm. And um, you thoughtfully created the spaces in your house. So can you talk about your design aesthetic? Like what inspired this interest? How do you pick your pieces? Yeah, well, first of all... um as a person who didn't leave his home for the first time till he was 28, I had plenty of time to think about this. <laughs> um, that, that's the key there. Um, yeah. You're really yeah, saving I mean, it up. Really, to be honest, it all, um, when I was, I want to say I was 11 or 12, we moved in with my grandmother, uh, my mother's mother, Hope. And um, she, you know, I'd already been in her house I was at her house just as often as I was at my house as a child so um but the thing was that her house was caught like in a in a time capsule you know like Mm -hmm. it had just stopped you know in in probably around 1965 66 and so everything in her house was mid-century modern and that's just how I grew up um I guess the uh the juxtaposition of the cheese of the 80s and early 90s mm-hmm. on the classic look and clean look of a modern, you know, mid-century uh, design was, you know, for people who didn't know any different, it was just what it was, what it was. And, but for me, I was like, this is disgusting. Like, this is much better design. Um, and so I wanted to, I wanted to make that in my house, you know, so that when I had children, so that. Now my son can see what, you know, in my opinion, at least what good design is, what clean, simple design is. Um, And so I went about, you know, just going on different sites and looking for different things. And I would usually get one thing, like, for example, in our um, in our guest room at the time, which is now my son's room. um, I found a lamp at a, uh, you know, at an antique mall. And I basically just based that lamp, I based the rest of the room off of that lamp and mm-hmm. just kind of designed around that and just found things that went with that light pastel color and kind of the smooth edges and stuff like that. And um, that's how I go about it. Really, I just find one thing that I really like. And um, I guess in the office, it would probably be, you know, I know it's weird to say, but it's like just a clock radio that I brought from my grandmother's. And mm-hmm. It's just like an old, you know, Panasonic from like the sixties and, uh, it's kind of got that bubble, you know, it's got that bubble area on the outside showing the face. So it's kind of a mix between futuristic, but also, you know, by today's standards, very analog. Yeah. So, and so I just went off of that for the, for the office and then just on and on, um, in my living room, I found a clock that's kind of like a, I can I can send you pictures of this later, but yeah, please do. I, I know you know what clock I'm talking about. It's the like sunburst tra- one, yeah, that trapezoid kind of clock, and and it's you know got that atomic feel, and I just use that in there. So every room kind of just went off of one item, and um, mm-hmm. just expounded from there. So that's basically yeah. how I did that. You know, Casey took a bunch of pictures. Amy's sister, yeah, your back, sister-in-law, back yeah. when we first uh, moved in. So it was like oh, yeah. right. At, it's right after you know before children. The stain of, of <laughs> yeah. life continues. Um, <clears throat> I know that sounds sweet, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it. So she got it like at its best, you know. So I can send you those actually. Yeah, look do. Awesome. 
That'll be perfect. And I mean, literally, like you're right. When we moved in, we had nothing. I had a bed. You had a bed, I, yeah. A I dresser. I had a bed and I had a dresser. And Amy had none of, not even that. Like we had a bed and a dresser for a like eighteen hundred square foot house. Yeah. So while in one area we kind of lived, you know, like Tom Hanks and big in that huge loft with nothing but a bed. Um, yeah. <laughs> on the on the other hand, it was advantageous because it was starting with a clean slate. You know, you didn't yeah. have to like try to negotiate with yourself as far as like, you know, what. A what table has, that doesn't yeah. quite fit that you've what, been what, what taking has, with you. You know, what has sentimentality and, yeah. you know, why you have to keep this around. And, you know, you don't have to wrestle with that stuff when you have nothing but your stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing you can but make it all the, match. the bare essentials. Yeah. That's a good problem to have. Yep. Yeah. Um, you also um, dabble in painting and um, draping fabrics. You sent us uh, this really cool wall hanging for Eloise's bedroom when she was born. Yeah. I think it was Eloise and not Ansley. And it was this like was really Eloise. cool pastel, like jungle animals. And they were trapezoids or rhombuses or something. And they uh-huh. kind of fit with each other. And I know that you have a version of it in your house as well for your son. Um how often do you do that? I, I mean, I haven't done that in a long, <laughs> since, <laughs> since, you know, then. early on, but, um, well, I mean, you know, there was just, because I had that blank slate, like I was just, it was just a creation burst, you know, like if I had, you know, a 300, you know, 3000 square foot home that was brand new, I'd probably get into that same mode again, but you know, you could only hold so much in a house. So, um, but Basically, when I was going through, you know, looking for mid-century modern stuff, I noticed that um, one of the big things of the mid-century, like of the 60s, you know, 50s and 60s was their unique fabric. And it's just fabric that you're not going to find anymore as far as the quality, you mm-hmm. know, and the, uh, and the, I guess, like the, sharp, the, sharp, the sharpness of the patterns and, yep. and the in- intricacy that went into it. You know, today everything is very mass produced. And so I think that was the last time, sure. that, you know, people were really putting time and, and, you know, artistry. I'm not saying you can't find it at all, but you're going to pay for it today. Um, just overall, it was, you know, the perfect zenith between, you know, affordability and artistry at the time. And so I found a lot of stuff when I was looking for, for mid-century stuff, I found a lot of fabric. And on top of that, we had a, t- I mean, my grandmother is a pack rat, like extraordinaire. Um, and so she had a ton of fabric in, in just in storage that we had in the garage in our storage shed. She's got, I mean, thousands of like dress designs and the patterns from, from the sixties and fifties and sixties. And then she would find, you know, fabric that went with it and then just never got around to actually doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, she had a lot of great fabric. And so I stretched a lot of that for, you know, just for pieces in open spaces like the bathrooms and mm-hmm. um, and the bedrooms. Like, you know, the thing that you have is from fabric that she got, that she had. Um, and so anyway, like, I guess I just got that idea. Just I wanted to, obviously, I wasn't going to make myself clothing out of it or even Amy. So I wanted some way to display the artistry of that. So yeah. I just stretched them onto wood frames. 
Yeah. And did you so, make the frames or you found the frames? No, I made the frame. I mean, it, you you know, super simple, just, you know, super, it doesn't have to be super, you know, really uh, sturdy wood. It's just framing wood and you just use little, you know, uh, finishing tacks and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah. they look really good. It's one of my favorite. Yeah. Things. I'm glad that y'all have that. And yeah. That we have one that matches it. I know it's so special. Yeah, those are. I don't. I don't think they're rhombuses. Amy is very particular about her shapes because she's a kindergarten teacher. So. Yeah. Well, feel free to correct me. <laughs> I think it's a parallelogram, but. Is it? I, but I digress. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> Were they triangles? I don't know. I can't. Remember. No, I. I thought I'm drawing it for Amber right now. I've always wanted a reason to say I digress. I just found it. So. <laughs> You said obviously you're not going to make those scraps into clothes for yourself, but are you saying you don't have like little scraps left over from after you do the frames? No, I do. You're not sewing those into your pockets or something to like let that love spread? Mm -hmm. That's what I do. What what would you call your personal fashion, I see? uh, Fat guy. What I I can fit into. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like. Then making your like own in, clothes like seems in like my, a dream. Like in my head, I'm kind of like, you know, boys to men, circa like, you know, 92, 93. Like I love that fashion. Bow ties and <laughs> all of my big stuff when I was young, my grandmother always got me super dressed up. You know, oh, like she was all it. about like getting me fashioned for that. So mm-hmm. my grandmother would never tell you she is in any way, shape or form creative. I think people are afraid of saying that they're creative. She was the oldest of six kids from the Depression era. So mm-hmm. it's, it, that wasn't – your creativity was not a, uh, you know, it wasn't something that was going to put food on the table or money in the bank. So it wasn't something that was seen as required or even desired. Yeah. So Yeah, totally. But in, real, I mean, in reality, she actually is much more creative and much more stylish than, than she gives herself credit for. So – but mm. I, don't, I don't think it really matters to her either way. It yeah. Just, it, it just is it what is it just is. just functional. Yeah. What else are you into creatively? You were talking about ceramics? Well, I mean, my, my, mother, my mother, you know, she did ceramics when I was young. Her big, the big things that she does are like uh, nativity scenes. And then um, the other big one, believe it or not, is like Civil War, like, chess sets what? i don't don't ask me like <laughs> somebody's amazing. like people will pay 500 dollars for like a well-done civil war chess set so you've got like the union versus confederacy or the two sides for chess like i know it sounds you ridiculous, are blowing my mind no. right now to be honest she takes much more time with the union <laughs> so what kind of ceramics did you do for me it was just like what they call bisque which is already fired and i would just you know, and there's there's a bunch of pieces in my mother's house that I did. I don't think I have anything here that I did. My dad, my dad is creative too. He did a lot of painting when he was young. Um, my dad is actually much more musical. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you're musical too. Not I think that you really. appreciate music yeah. in a way. I don't that... create it. I just criticize it and make sure, other yeah. people's <laughs> yeah. and say why mine's so much better. Yeah. Um. I mean, no. I I do. I really love music. Um, I'd say that's one of the first things that really got me and Matt talking. 
you know, his exposure to to music, you know, urban music was all very superficial, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and so I use things like crossover people like Michael Jackson and like Stevie Wonder and stuff like that in order to show Matt, you know, that this isn't that different and you know, it's not all, you know, NWA and Wu-Tang Clan and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> even though I love all those groups, it's not it's not all like that. And so I think that both with Matt and to an extent with our friend James, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was able to show them that other side, you know, and at the same time they showed me their side. Yeah. And so, um, I think we shared that and, you know, it, it's not pretty while it's happening at all. You know, there's a lot of bumps in the road, but looking back, I think it was, you know, awesome that we shared that with each other and we helped round each other out, you know? And so, so are you saying that you taught white denims James Petrali? <laughs> Ask James about when I showed him Music of My Mind by Stevie Wonder. He still tells me to this day like that was like a pivotal moment in his music career. It's more Stevie than anything. It's not me. I just want to show it to people. I just want to expose people to those different types of things. I mean, which brings me back to world geography. Yep, I just yep. like to expose people to different experiences and to get out of their comfort place. If there's anything I do, it's get people kind of in an awkward, uncomfortable position. I mean, it, it can be seen as negative at times, but I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be rude. It's just I get people out of their safe place sometimes and try to get them to think in a different way. Even And it doesn't mean you have to agree with mm-hmm. me. It just means that you've at least questioned sure you know, conventional thought or, you know, something that you have always seen as, you know, what, just what it is, you know? So. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. You like to plead a case. Some people Um, become lawyers. Yeah. And you, you will sit someone down and talk to them about a subject matter that means a lot to you. And by the end of it, that person I would say most of the time is convinced and you do a good job of know, that. I don't know if they're convinced, but they're at least willing to doubt what was their concrete position before. Yeah. So. So another part of your personality that I think is creative is you're a funny guy. So how mm. does humor and your sardonic wit play into how you engage with the world creatively? I just like to use humor. I think it helps in the classroom. Def- I don't think. I know it helps in the classroom because yeah. you're able to get the kids out of that, you know, out of that authority figure position where they're scared of you and into a more ease, easy um, area where they're willing to listen to you. And self-deprecation is a huge part of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got to be able to be – to make fun of yourself. Self-deprecation is absolutely essential as, in being a leader. And let let me make a political statement here. It's absolutely important in being a leader. Yes. You have to be willing to make fun of yourself. And if you cannot make fun of yourself, you're not suited for leadership. Just not at all. Yeah, and so, you'll be on the defensive oh, because constantly. people will find your weak spots. Yeah, be- I mean the thing is you're so the thing is you're so comfortable with who you are, and you know you're confident in your abilities, and so therefore you can diffuse anything yeah and you 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 can diffuse it you can acknowledge that you have weakness because you're not perfect Mm -hmm. and nobody's expecting you to be perfect 
they're, they're expecting you to be a human, which is what it's about. And so, you know, when I see leaders who can't be self-deprecating, I, I really question them. And so in the classroom, like I said, that is very helpful. It's helpful, you know, in all situations. And I mean, obviously you have to know your audience. So, um, and I, that's what I, I, I try to take pride in the fact that whether I'm speaking to a 70, 80-year-old person, I can make them chuckle. If I'm talking to a five-year-old, I can try to make them laugh, you know, typically. So if you were reading your obituary, this oh, is a Lord. new segment. <laughs> um, what would you like box. to see? <laughs> what would you like to see listed there? I'm um, the best. <laughs> I keep that in there. I'm amazing. Yeah. You guys are sad. Go, ahead. Um, Go listen to my mixtape. <laughs> You'll figure I'm it amazing. out. I'm amazing. Yeah. You know, we were talking about, you've got to watch that Freaks and Geeks thing. On getting, Culture Shock. Getting in, yeah. On Culture Shock on any. And I've read both of Apatow's books and they're excellent. Um, and I'm a huge Judd Apatow fan. Yeah. Um, the reason why they had such a hard time was because they didn't understand that with the comedy comes the tragedy. Like, you know, they always wanted happy endings. So that's what they kept saying to them was, we want more happy endings, you know? And the thing is, you learn, you know, you learn through your, through things that are difficult, you know? And so everything isn't always roses and you have to be willing to understand that out of difficulty, you get progress. And so I guess for me, that's, that's a big part of it. And comedy is a big part of that, you know, is like being willing to see, the positives out of the failures and, yeah. and the, how the struggle, you know, it's a long struggle, but it, it eventually ends up in small wins that add up over time, you know? So. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, okay. So sometimes if I remember to ask people, we have a question from an episode previously that we crowdsource to um, our friends on Facebook and Instagram and, ooh, I got a new answer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the question was from a previous episode, how do you introduce more variety into your subject matter? Um, these are the answers that we've gotten so far. And then, AC, I want you to answer it. It's like homework we give to our listeners. Oh, okay. Um, so it was at the end of an episode that I think Mitch was – the, Mitch, the Mitch asked this question. So Sarah, who was on an episode, I'm so bad at remembering the numbers. There's a lot of numbers. Though. Yeah. Um, she said, I've never met a craft project I didn't want to try. I get most of my inspo to try new things from craft bloggers that I follow. I also started getting Molly Makes and It Has Fun Projects. Um, and then Matt said, I record everyday sounds and find a way to use them in my music for Berman Swale. And then a new this is person. this is a this is Bianca's sister oh, really? from a few episodes back. Okay. India says that she tries to use a design element or color that's not normally her in her knitting or crocheting. Yeah. That's so, beautiful. Thank you guys. Yeah. We love getting this feedback. So AC, how do you yeah. introduce more variety into your subject matter? Um I mean as a teacher you're you know, and this is a big thing with our with our district is you're continually improving. And like, even though you feel like something is good, you're trying to figure out how it can get better as a teacher. How can it be more efficient? How can it be more, um, you know, and there, believe me, there are times where you come to the end of a lesson. You're like, Oh my God, that was terrible. (laughs) Like, 
like seriously. Um, and so I, I try to, you know, listen to what other teachers have to say. I do do the Pinterest thing. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, I'm constantly, you know, and that's really where, you know, there's different types of intelligences and different ways of learning. And for me, I learned through things like documentaries, like PBS and Discovery and the History Channel and stuff like that. And I'm constantly watching those types of things like, for example, you know, Planet Earth or Blue Planet on BBC America and um, Discovery and stuff like that. And I'm constantly seeing where I can use the information that they have in that little clip. Like it could be just or even, for example, here, here's a good example. Um, the first time I saw Moana, it wasn't in the theater because Michael was too little to pay attention in the theater, which he still is. But um, when he was watching it, I was immediately like, this is, you know, this is perfection as far as using this for Polynesia, how to teach the kids about Polynesia and how to talk about how they use the resources on their island um, because it's what they have available to them. And I think a lot of people don't realize that Polynesians stopped traveling for like a 500-year period. And that was um, – that's kind of partially – have you all seen Moana? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so like when, you know, when he keeps saying don't go out there, you know, the chief, her father, keeps saying it's, it's, um, it's too dangerous and then they had hidden all of their – Walk uh, hua kaleas in uh-huh. in the in the caves, and that is supposed to signify that that great. It's called the Great Pause, and oh. and and like a lot of a lot of uh, oceanographers and archaeologists don't really know why it was stopped. It could have been um, a small change in climate for five hundred years. It could have been trade winds. They don't know why exactly they stopped, but they did. And within the show, they showed that but they did it in a different way. And so that, as soon as I saw that, like, I was like, I've got to use this in the classroom. Like I have to. And so I went through many different, like probably 15 different articles as sources and use them in order to, um, come up with a text. And I came up with like a 10 page text about how mm-hmm. Disney, how Disney found these archeological things and, and, and sync them into a story that kids find, you know, obviously entertaining. And right. so when we get to Polynesia, which is the end of the year, um, you know, you have a little bit more levity at the end of the year and the kids are definitely frayed and ready to go. So it's harder to keep them um, engaged, but that definitely does. And so we watch bits and pieces of, of Mo- Moana and, and get the resource portion. We get the history portion. We get the physical geography and the human geography and all that. So. It's just constantly watching stuff and being, you know, just having an open mind, really, just like constantly trying to make connections. And so I guess that's it for me. Yeah. Wow. I feel like I learned something. Just saying. <laughs> I think I could fit that on your tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. AC, keeping it relevant. Yeah. Moana. Yeah. Moana. Mo- yeah. Mo- by the way, Michael Joseph thinks Moana, you know, the song, it goes, your it's son. okay. It's okay. Like, that's what he thinks when they say make way. Oh. I, think it's, I think it's really funny. Like, I was wondering, is there a question that you want to pose to people? Is um, there something you want to crowdsource? I mean, is this customary? Mm-hmm. Okay, well then. Who am I to buck tradition? Um, 
I guess because it's something for me that (laughs) that I've realized going through this with you. Um, Because you brought up a lot of things that that I don't do anymore. Honestly, what are your barriers to being creative? Like Mm -hmm. what what keeps you from being creative if you used to be, or what keeps you from being creative if you never were? You know, so that's beautiful. Is it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like rain on your wedding day. (laughs) It's not falsely ironic. It's just beautiful. That's something we've talked about a lot. It's something that I bring up with a lot of guests because in myself, I mean, I used to write um, poetry a lot. Yeah, there's no doubt. I don't. I mean, because you're, you're doing what you believe is the, you know, the bone, you know, the nuts and bolts of life. And so... You can't take time for yourself to do those things. But yeah, luckily for you and Matt, and I'm not saying you get to do it on a daily basis, but you get to be creative in your job. Yeah. And uh, to an extent, I get to be creative in my job. And Amy gets to be creative in her job. And so, I mean, I think when you look at, when you look at what, you know, constitutes a occupation that is worthwhile, you know, that's part of it is do you get the opportunity to express yourself and be creative or, you know, unfortunately, are you sitting, you know, in a cubicle farm and you don't get that opportunity. So I may not make a lot of, yeah, I don't make a lot of money. Obviously there's no glamor. Um, but I do get the opportunity to interact with different individuals. I get the opportunity to be influential and I get to be creative as well. So for those reasons, you know, there is a trade off. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So I think that we are at the last question. If you were to give yourself a title for your creative identity, what would your title be? Well, Angelica, um, (laughs) in geography, we do what we call inquiry, which basically is the, it's people just asking why that's all it is, is when you see something, why? And so you know, when kids see something they've never seen before, like somebody dressed in odd dress to them or doing some sort of weird thing, it's why. And so we, we call those inquiries. And, um, you know, it's just a fancy word for question or an investigation. And so in combining the National Enquirer, you know, which did a great job of hiding some things for some people, um, and then looking at... National Geographic, I've combined those to be um, Geographic Inquirer. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So, you, know. you lost Amber with that one. The thing oh, is, yeah. Angelica was writing it down on a post-it, and I thought she was making a guess at oh. what it was going to be. <laughs> and then you said Great it verbatim. Guess. You need, so, to, go to, you guys really you need to go to it. Vegas right now. Yeah. <laughs> You're hot. Yeah. <laughs> so hot right now. Hey, before we go on, yeah. I may have missed it. Where do you source most of your fabrics from if you're not getting it out of storage? It'd be either eBay or Etsy. Really? Uh, you're not a you're not an estate sailor? I've gone, but it's kind of uncomfortable and you know, it feels a lot like a curb your enthusiasm episode when I go into those houses, so I definitely hear the music playing. So I just try to, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I will never go to them anymore, but it's just, it's a little awkward. Because you know? you're buying a dead person's yeah. fabric? Every, yeah. You just don't really know how to 
how to go about all that. And I definitely don't want to haggle, which is one of my favorite things. <laughs> sure. Like, how can you haggle with a dead person? You know? Just, yeah. So it totally takes all the fun out for me. So. All right. Because <clears throat> that person's dead. They had the audacity to die. <laughs> how dare they? Now, if they had died, if they had sold their stuff before they died, then I could argue. Or, or even priced it before they died. <laughs> That's exactly. That's all we ask. Just a convenience, please. You know you're not feeling well. Go price things. <laughs> well thank you ac and thanks to our listeners and we hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes of chatty crafties ac's powerpoints are available by request only mosey on over to chattycrafties.com to check out some of his students work and a few pics of his well-groomed home design our music is by berm and swale Check him out on Facebook or Instagram. And while you're at it, let us know you're still alive by answering our question of the week. What are your barriers to being creative? And our show is just waiting for you to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. So if you're not podcasting yourself, at least be a podcast supporter. This episode was produced by me, Amber Moreno, and my crafty comrade, Angelica Norton, right here at Open Envelope Studio. Thanks for listening. Now go make some art. <laughs>